Let's pray. Father, as we walk into this, the idea that in 30 minutes I can capture the day of the Lord is laughable to me. Um, Your prophets didn't get it. Your apostles couldn't figure it all out. And theologians for 2,000 years haven't figured it out. But we know that you have outlined a lot of stuff that we can track. And I pray this morning that that will be clear. That you will uh, delineate some good places for us and uh, some things that we should be paying attention to. And I ask this morning, Lord, that um, uh, you will speak in a way that's clear to those who are listening. And so we we come before you because we're very dependent on you. Um, We cannot see with our own eyes. It's only as you illuminate, it's only as you give revelation can we understand things that we can't even see about ourselves, let alone you. And we ask for that favor this morning in your name. Amen. All right. So uh, we're starting in chapter 5, and we're going to just cover three verses this morning. That's all I could get through. So we'll work with these three, and then in two weeks we'll come back and, and go through the rest of them. So it reads like this. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need for anything to be written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Probably one of the most famous phrases in the Bible, um, well known by many, many people. While people are saying there's peace and security or peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now I want to go back to last week and look at the verses right above Uh, chapter 5, starting with verse 13. And uh, it reads like this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. In these verses, we're talking about two main events in Scripture. One is called the parousia. You would better know it as the rapture. All right, that famous term. And today we're talking about the day of the Lord. Now, they are not the same event, but they are intrinsically woven or connected together. Uh, And so although they're not the same, they're different, but you have to think of both of them simultaneously. Does that make sense? Confuse you greatly? Awesome. Here we go. We'll take a look at it. Uh, Let's just do a brief review on these. Remember we said last week, Paul said that this word about the Prusia was a word from the Lord, so it wasn't something that he made up. That the dead in Christ, the Bible refers to that as sleep uh, because it seems like such a short duration that uh, those will, the dead in Christ will rise first. There were some catalytic markers to the event. Uh, there's the cry of command, the voice uh, of authority. Then there's the voice of the archangel. And then the sound of the trumpet of God, probably one of the most distinct sounds in the history of the universe will happen during that time. And then we who are alive, those who are alive, who are left caught up together in the clouds will always be with the Lord in the air. And uh, when you read that, it's hard not to read we. 
We who are still alive, right? Because we're the ones alive and we think that we'll go. Uh, but every generation has read that that way. And so we're going to look this morning. This is Christ coming back for the redeemed. This morning we want to look at what's called the day of the Lord. So let's go back to that passage and relook at it. Now concerning the times and seasons. Times is close, seasons is far. Right? Times is what's happening like right here and seasons are as they roll out. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need, for, no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Paul is writing this now to the Thessalonian church that they have been well taught on this subject. He says you have no need to have anything written to you. He's he's going back to uh, them, reminding them of his time of teaching with them in in more of an encouragement form than a rebuke. He's not saying to them, you knuckleheads, how how come you can't remember what I told you when I was with you? That's not the spirit that he's doing. It's much more of a spirit. Notice he uses the word brothers. That's an affectionate term. It's much more in the spirit where the Thessalonian church had gotten riled up and they were all uh, disturbed. And Paul's more saying, hey, hang on a second. Slow down a little bit. Do you remember? Have you ever had the Lord do that to you? You ever get all riled up and he goes, hey, wait a minute, slow down. Right? Yeah. I know, oh, wait, remember what I was teaching you three months ago? Yeah, but remember? We said, yeah, oh, okay. I'm supposed to trust you. Oh, duh. You ever do that? Right? That's the kind of sense that he's talking to the Thessalonian church. Hey, guys, slow down. Don't get so riled up. We can get through this. The day of the Lord that's in this passage is an enormous topic in Scripture. And what I want to do this morning is just give some basic parameters uh, for this title, and I hope it encourages you to explore it more, to look it up. There's some fantastic passages, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that talk about it. But it is this uh, verse right here, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. As I said, this is one of the more famous quotes in all the Bible, and even non-believers uh, recognize it, if they, even if they've never read the Bible. Now, in our day and age, it's kind of relegated to the category of science fiction. It fits in there with Star Wars, and it fits in there with Blade Runner, and it fits in there with you know that kind of material, where whoever came up with this idea, cool idea, right? We should make a video game out of it. And it's got that sort of thing. And so it, it's, um, it's cute, it's a great idea, but it's not really real, right? Yeah, you know, there is a day of the Lord, really? I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to throw out there kind of like you get scared, right, on Halloween. Boo, ah, okay, adrenaline hit. Uh, day of the Lord, boo, ah, okay, get hit. It's that sort of thing. And I think there's two great mistakes to make with uh, this idea of the day of the Lord. First of all, I think it's really dangerous to mock it. Second Peter says this, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is this promise of his coming? Notice the sarcasm in there. That's intentional. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Day of the Lord? Yeah, right. Poppycock. Come on. Nothing's changed. It's been the same 
you know, look through history. There's nothing really all that different. There's nothing new under the sun. I don't see any Jesus. And one of the problems, I think, uh, the danger is that the church itself, we've cried wolf a lot to the point where people don't pay attention to it. Um, Let me give you some historical connections. Uh, Paul was pretty sure the day of the Lord was going to happen here when he was writing. And they also thought Nero, a great archetype antichrist, um, that was going to be there. But just more recently, uh, many of us don't realize or know that when the American Revolution happened, remember 1776 and that kind of thing, um, that... uh, the American Revolution, many had come over for religious freedom and thought when the war started, that's when uh, the day of the Lord was going to happen. That also kicked up again during the Civil War, uh, getting more current. World War I, many thought that that was a time for the day of the Lord. And if that wasn't it, certainly World War II, uh, Hitler was a uh, type of Antichrist and certainly uh, set the mold for it well, uh, kind of in the uh, vein and... and theme of Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, Hitler played that role. And so many thought of that. Many of you probably remember, remember a, a Desert Storm? Remember all the biblical lands? In, uh, look, Desert Storm, you're not that young. Look, yes, deserts. Don't give me that. What? What war was that? Yeah, nice try. Okay, Desert Storm. Remember, remember all the prophecy things rolling out? Remember all the, oh my goodness, what's going to happen kind of stuff? So, so sometimes we've... Um, unintentionally played into that drama. But one of the things to remember is that Peter reminds us that uh, God does not measure time like we do. And in um, Peter says that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And so God does not see time like we do. He does not inhabit time like we do. So he works it differently. By the way, if you're thinking about it that way, if this is really true, then the first thousand years would be day one. Second thousand years would be day two. Third thousand years would be day three. The third day. Anybody recognize the symbolism in that? So I think it, it's um, important not to mock that. And um, But there's another side of it, Okay. One, if you're mocking it, it's never going to happen. The other side of it is egging it on. Day of the Lord, yeah, bring it on. Come on, let's rock this thing, okay? And and there's that kind of attitude where, um, wow. Uh, Amos says this. He writes some powerful things about the day of the Lord. But he says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? In other words, why would you be inviting this? Do you not get what this is? It says, it is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. In other words, go from the frying pan into the fire. Or went to a house, you're running from something dangerous, and he leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? <clears throat> you know, this, the, the, Amos was prophesying to the Israelites, saying God's judgment is going to come, and some said, yeah, bring it. Just bring it. And Scripture also says that's a, a dangerous attitude. Um, you know, it is not a woohoo, let's get something going here. That's not the attitude. Just to salt this for you, because I think it's so easy to miss the tension of it, because we weren't there when it happened. Just like, you know, it's been there, done that, right? We've heard that before. Let me read to you this one. I'm going to read to you from Zephaniah. I know you all had your quiet time there this week and love Zephaniah. But. Um, 
Let me read to you. I'm reading um, uh, from Zephaniah, starting chapter 1. I'm, pick, I'm going to pick it up in verse 14. Don't turn there, okay? Just listen. Let me just listen to what this sounds like. Don't read it, because if you read it, you'll get mentally engaged and you'll, you'll miss. Just listen to it. As if this were being spoken to you by a prophet, what would this sound like? The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath, that is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty embattlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. That's a lovely image, isn't it? Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. What's the impact of that? Is that something you mock or egg on? No, we're up against something that's way, way bigger than us. And I just want to remind you that um, God's presence is awe-inspiring and should be awed by us. Remember the Israelites when they were um, at Mount Sinai and God was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses and it says God came down on the mountain and says there was lightning and thunder and clouds and earthquakes and trumpet blasts. And when they heard God speak, it so terrified them that they begged that not another word be spoken to them lest they die. Now, I don't know what kind of word that is, right? The closest I can get to that is my dad when he cocked his eyebrow. All right? That threw the fear of God into us. But we're talking about a word that came that was so shaking and shattering that your knees buckled and you begged that you would not hear another word. And they said, please let the Lord speak to you, Moses, and we'll do whatever he tells you to do. That's how terrifying that, that, word, that word was. They were afraid if they heard more, they would die. And I want to remind us that the book of Hebrews says that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All right? uh, just because we know him, just because we're saved, just because we're his children doesn't mean we should not be in awe of him. And that's why scripture says to every man, woman, and child, make sure you're on the right side of the equation. Make sure you're on the right side of the coin when this day of the Lord comes about. Make sure that you're under his protection and you've taken care of salvation. You've come to his son Jesus and said, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again. I accept your offer of a peace treaty. I surrender. I do not want to face you in the day of the Lord. That's what the Bible's really saying. So make sure you've got that taken care of. Now there's another thing with the day of the Lord um, is that we're dealing with what I call telescoping prophecies. Right? And telescoping prophecies are prophecies where there is 
a, a near or immediate future. In other words, there's a, there's a historical context in place. There's something happening that prophets are speaking into. But then also in that prophecy, there is a future or farther down the road fulfillment of it. Let me just grab one. There's hundreds of them in Scripture. This may not even be the best one, but I grabbed uh, Numbers 24. And this is the Oracle of Balaam. And so the story is that Israel's marching through the desert. They want to get through Moab, and Moab won't let them through. So Balak, the king of Moab, comes and says, he grabs Balaam, a prophet of Beor, and says, I want you to come prophesy against this nation so that we can attack them and kill them. And every time Balaam opens his mouth, he speaks blessings on them. And the king's going nuts, like, what are you doing? I paid you big money. I'll give you more money. Curse them. And he can't curse them. He just blesses them. In uh, his third one, it says, An oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of a man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. Isn't that an interesting phrase? who sees a vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. And then it says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. Adam shall be dispossessed, Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the city. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. So as Balaam's speaking that, he's speaking to the nation of Israel, which is about to go in and conquer the land. But certainly that telescopes to King David, right? And who's going to be a scepter and rule that entire area and is going to be a star that rises out of Israel. But then that telescopes to who? The Lord Jesus Christ, who in Psalm 2 says he will rule the nations with an iron scepter. An iron scepter is hard. An iron scepter does not bend. It does not shatter. It does not chip. It mashes the stuff it hits. It says Jesus will rule with an iron scepter. And so that prophecy telescopes through. There's a bunch of other ones. For example, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Start talking about the king of Babylon and the king of Tyre. But then it telescopes over and you realize it's talking about Satan and the person we know as the enemy of God. And it tells you about his origins and it tells you about what happens to him. And it tells you about why he's uh, the person that he has become. By the way, if you want to look that up, it's really cool. So it tells you about the fall before the fall, right? how Satan got cast out. And that's worth reading. Uh, When you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, all of them... Uh, are portents about what's happening currently directly in Israel's history, but then it telescopes to the end times and they say profound, profound things about the end times. And so when we're talking about uh, these prophecies and the day of the Lord, there are numerous situational historical days of the Lord that telescope and portend to the day of the Lord. In other words, they're actual days of the Lord that are copycats, or not copycats, that's a totally wrong word to use. They are um, images of, replicas of, what will be carried out in the day of the Lord. And so when we're talking about the day of the Lord, 
There's a couple um, things we, we, I want to walk through in terms of uh, context. So first of all, there's the historical context. So for example, the prophets talked about Assyria and talked about God's hand in Assyria and that it would bring in the great and mighty day of the Lord. In uh, Babylon, after Assyria did that, they talked about the exile that way. They talked about the restoration of Jerusalem that way. There were these prophecies giving, but then any of you know the New Testament, know history, can read that a lot of those spoke to what would happen when Jesus himself came. By the way, one of the authenticating factors uh, of Jesus is that he fulfilled those prophecies and uh, uh, just he's written all over them. And if you ever want to look that up, it's really a, a cool study in terms of what God did through history. But there's not just the historical context. There's this word, eschatological. I'm impressed I got that out, right? <laughs> Eschatology. Now, that's a big theological word. If you go to seminary, you, do, you study this. This is one uh, whole semester that you study. And basically, eschatology means the study of last things. In other words, how will things roll out at the end of history? That's the study of eschatology. And that's, um, so you have the historical context, but then you have the eschatological context that's played out here. So there is a future day of the Lord. All historical days of the Lord pointed or point to the ultimate fulfillment of the eschatological day of the Lord. The ultimate, when, and what is this day of the Lord when we're talking about this? As you look in the Bible, what the Bible says, the ultimate, uh, or the day of the Lord is the ultimate victory of God over his enemies and the ultimate restoration of his people. This is an important point because we live in a day where uh, the, the terminology has been changed and how it's postured today is I uh, worship a God of love. I, my God is a God who loves everybody and my God will throw nobody into hell. My God will not have judgment against everybody because love conquers all, love wins all, and, and God, that love will win out. That is true, but it's incomplete. What's missing on there is the holiness, the judging, the righteousness, and the, and the, um, the justice of God. Those are also included in there. And the Bible says God is going to come back and war against his enemies. Now, it's God's decision who his enemies are. That's not for us to pick. Uh, many of us were formerly that. Okay, I was an enemy of God. Anybody else? Okay, thank you. Hi, brothers and sisters. <laughs> I was an enemy of God. Um, was not looking for God. Did not expect to find God. Actually didn't want to find God. All right. And uh, he mercifully helped me understand that that was a wrong perspective. But it says he's going to come back and fight with his enemies. And so uh, you have to have the full picture there uh, of what he's doing in terms of eschatology and the day of the Lord. Here's the other one. This is a lovely one. But the day of the Lord always had to do with God dealing with his people's sin. Right? We can pretend we don't have sin. We can pretend we haven't sinned. We can pretend we're innocent. We can pretend there's nothing to be fixed, nothing to be pardoned, nothing to be forgiven, nothing to be redeemed or transformed. But the truth is the Bible says we're sinners. That's why people don't like this book. Okay? Do you realize that this is one of the few books in the world that tell you what's wrong? It's not I'm okay, you're okay. Some of you just gave away your age. 
it is, God's okay, you're not. And here's how you can be through his help. Because here's what's wrong. When you get mad at this book and you take this book and you chuck it out through the door, stupid book, when you hide it on your shelf for 30 years, does that mean you got rid of the problem? No, you just got rid of the only thing that can tell you what's actually wrong. It's a spiritual microscope. It didn't create the problem. It's merely showing us what the problem is. And one of the things that um, we struggle with is uh, this fear of the Lord. Let me, Peter speaks about this really well. In um, 1 Peter, he says, starting with verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And what he's saying here is this. As the day of the Lord comes, we can expect as the church for persecution to break out. Isn't that a delightful thought? Right? That's part of what the Bible tells us. Is part of what we're aiming at. Peter says, don't be surprised when there's a fiery trial that comes upon you, something strange. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted, <coughs> excuse me, for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. A couple of weeks ago I gave you that illustration, don't stick your nose in other people's business. And I used the picture of grabbing a dog by the ears. Boy, I got a lot of responses off of that. That really got a bunch of you. Uh, you know, I never saw it that way. Um, but uh, this Peter's talking about this is, look, if, if you're going to be persecuted, don't be persecuted because you're a knucklehead, right? Um, we can operate, behave very badly as Christians. Have you ever heard the saying, uh, the worst time I ever had in business was dealing with people in the church, right? I don't think that's always true, but I've heard that thrown around quite a bit. We can behave very badly. What the Bible's saying is, look, it's one thing, if you get hit with a bat, it's another thing if you give them the bat to hit you with. And that's what our sin does. Our sin makes us look like knuckleheads and we say, here, clobber me. Honk. Okay? And, and Peter's saying, hey, don't do that. And notice he includes meddling with all these other bad sins like murder, thief, evildoers. That's, so that's included. But he says this, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Now here's the thought. Here's the important part. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? The church, us, should be the most people who are the most in awe of God, and therefore, rightfully so, should be the group of people that are repenting the quickest and the fastest. We should be offloading our sin. We should be agreeing with God. When the Holy Spirit says to us, ah, 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 mm, mm, don't. You ever have him say that? Don't, don't say it. Don't, don't. And then we just, you ever plow through that road sign? Right? That's called sin. That's called missing the mark. You just went into the ditch. And the Bible's saying, don't do that. Don't, don't suffer because you're sinning. Suffer for righteousness sake because judgment's going to begin with the household God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Right? 
Peter uses creator there. Today we'd say evolutionist, right? Using that timeline. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. So when we're talking about the day of the Lord, it always has to do with dealing with sin. It's a wake-up call to see our sin for what it really is, sin. It's not to uh, massage it or pet it or um, rationalize it or do that kind of stuff. But God's asking us to be in a constant state of repentance and to work with him because of uh, the wrath that's coming. When we talk about the day of the Lord, also it comes in stages so that people can repent. God is, is kind this way. God's judgment is always preceded by God's warnings. If you think about the prophets, they would talk and they would set up and they would say, this would come. And if you do this, such and such. And there was a lot of ifs. If you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. All right? Which course are you going to take? Oh, you took the wrong one? Okay, now that you've done this, if you keep doing this, now this is going to happen. But if you turn and repent, then this can happen. Right? It's a, it's a moving board. In this passage and many others, uh, they're often described uh, as birth pangs. When you read in Thessalonians, it says it will come suddenly as on birth pangs, which do come suddenly, right, ladies? But let's not forget that in a pregnancy, there's a whole lot of indicators that something is coming before that. In other words, when you get pregnant, it's not just the birth pangs that let you know you're pregnant. Now, I can't speak with great authority because I'm a guy. But I've had four children and I've watched my wife, right? And so there's things that let you know you're pregnant, like morning sickness, right? And suddenly foods you used to love you don't like anymore. Let's go to our favorite restaurant now. <laughs> Smells become weird. You start having a bump, right? You can't sleep quite right at night. There's all kinds of things that start indicating that an event is coming, of which at the end the birth pangs start to happen. And, and it, God says he rolls this out in stages. Let me give you an example of that. Example, Moses and the ten plagues. Moses is telling Pharaoh, let our people go. And Pharaoh says no and says, okay, if you don't, this will roll out. And then Pharaoh says, oh gosh, I shouldn't have done that, sorry. Uh, what's the deal again? Well, we want, God wants you to let his people go. Okay, no. Okay, then this will roll out. Right? And if you watch the ten, as you watch as they start from one to ten, it just keeps increasingly ramping up in intensity till it gets to 10. And all back there, all that while, was designed so that people could turn and repent at any point in the process. God let them know very clearly what the end game was going to be. But at the end, when the birth pains came, it, it, there wasn't time to react. It was too late, and that's what the Bible was saying. The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of them, um, the warnings increased even as the event drew nearer and God gives ample warnings ahead of time to those, and here's the key phrase, who are paying attention. To those who are watching, to those who are paying attention, you can see the signs. You can um, become aware of them. But if you don't, then God's judgments come as a thief in the night. How, how, how is this? Well, Jesus indicated that no one knows the hour or the day. And that they come at a time when people least expect it. Have you noticed they don't ask permission? Right? Ladies, when you were having a baby, did you notice that the 
birth pangs didn't say, are you ready this afternoon? No? Oh, well, how about tomorrow afternoon? Okay, we'll do that. Is that how it worked? Did they ask your permission? No, there was the look, honey. Right? And guys, you better move. That wasn't, she was not saying, let's sit down and have lunch. Okay? It was, you better move. And some of us, you know, didn't move quite so fast and almost had our kids in the car, right? Because the third one came faster than the first one. Whoa! You know, we got to move. Right? That's what it's talking about here in terms of they ramp up. They come at a time when people least expect it. They don't, they don't ask permission. Now, how is this so? Like, how could it be that even if we're watching, it could catch us unexpectedly? How could it be that even, like, the church could be caught unexpectedly? Let me give you two examples that will probably cause, cause you some pain this morning, intentionally so, with things that we know about all the time, and we don't deal with them. All right? So two things that would be like this. First of all, we live here in Mill Creek. This is the Seattle area, the great northwest. And one of the things that we know the northwest is prone to is earthquakes. Right? Uh, they now have studies where they can show that the levels changed about 31 inches, which means almost three feet. Right? Uh, massive slides to where now there's a whole forest in the bottom of Lake Washington. Still there. Good bass fishing, by the way. And it, it, they're all standing up. The whole thing slid into the bottom of Lake Washington. So we know that this area is prone, is going to, and for how long have they been saying the big one's coming? Right? Whatever. Okay? But we're busy. We got stuff going. And I will bet most of us, I will bet most of us sitting in this room do not have food stored. I'll bet you most of us sitting in this room do not have uh, water stored. I'll bet you most of us sitting in this room do not have emergency supplies put together. And I'll bet you most of us in the room do not even have batteries for our flashlights. Darn thing. Why doesn't it work? Okay. I'm like that. You know what I think? I live in the meadows. I live right behind Albertsons. <laughs> Earthquake hits. I go to Albertsons, get what I want. I come back. We're good. How hard can it be? Do you think when that hits, I'll be able to go to Albertsons? Do you realize the food supply in our stores is only three days? I've, I've stood in Costco trying to imagine that. But we don't do anything about it because we don't think it's going to happen to us. Sure, earthquakes happen in California, but they don't happen to us. Same as the day of the Lord. It will happen to somebody else, not us. Let me give you another one. If you're, you escape that one, how about this one? So all of us know, uh, you know, we put together stuff and we got to have savings and we have life insurance plan. But all of us know we should have a will. It's not good to go to probate. It is not good to have stuff not finished. They will not do kindly with your stuff if you don't tell them what you want to do. And we know that we're going to die. But here's the thing. We're not going to die today well hopefully okay i hope you don't but if you were to die today would you have a will no why because i'm not going to die today i'll get to it when why what we say i see it coming oh i'm dying write the will croak oh safe at first right (laughs) 
We have that attitude. I'll be able to mark it. I'll be able to measure it. Got it. On April 23rd, I'm going to do a will. On April 24th, I kick the bucket. That's, we kind of think that way. We'll see it coming. Do you see your death coming? No. How many people do you know were blindsided and didn't have anything put together for their family? Right? This is exactly the type of context that the Bible's talking about where we're not prepared for the day of the Lord. Because we also say, oh, yeah, it's been the same way forever. Same for my great-grandparents, my grandparents, my parents. Nothing's going to be any different. Maybe it'll be different for my kids, but it's certainly not going to happen in my lifetime. So I really don't have to worry about it. So there's no need to pay attention to the day of the Lord. And I would suggest to you that that's a very erroneous uh, assumption. Last one. The day of the Lord when you read about it, declares God's victory and ultimate restoration of his kingdom and his people. Now, God gives great encouragement and hope in the midst of trials and sufferings. If you have been through trials and sufferings, you know that, and you know that to be true. And he will do that uh, for the church as well as we come upon uh, the times that we are called to live upon. Many would say today that it is not a good time to be a Christian. Look at everything that's turning. Look at the, everything that's changing. I mean, uh, I read an article yesterday that said uh, a group of students voted that you could not hang the flag of the United States in this meeting room because that would be arrogant and egotistical and would, could actually be considered hate speech. Hello, that's not the America I grew up in. All right? I'm like, wow, Seriously? And we're looking at the trials and saying, wow, it's not a good time. Look at the pressures. But I would suggest something to you opposite of that. I would say that Scripture says it's not a good time to be an enemy of God. Sure, we'll go through it, but God will take us through it. And yes, we'll make it. Yes, you will. Fearful, timid people, we will make it. All right? But it's not a good time to be an enemy of God. If he's coming back and it is the day of the Lord, it is not a good time to be an enemy of God. And the Bible says, surrender now. Do it before that happens because when that happens, you aren't going to have time to think through the process and think, gee, I should have done that. It's going to happen way too fast. It says it comes upon us like birth pangs. It's going to take over. One of the things about birth pangs is, ladies, you're not fully in charge of all your faculties, are you? Right? Oh, oh, wow, right? You ever see the funny TV shows where the gal's in labor and the guy's talking and not paying attention, so she grabs his hair and, this is what it feels like, right? <laughs> Empathy kind of thing. Okay? You don't have time at that point. It's too painful. There's not a way to get around it. So the Bible says this is the time to be encouraged, and the Bible encourages us to always be alert. There's two things that wars against. Number one, Paul's saying, Thessalonians, you got all stirred up. Slow down a little bit. Don't, don't get too wild on this. But on the other hand, don't ignore it. Stay focused. Be alert. Now think through all the warnings in the Bible that say, be sober, be alert. Uh, you know, constantly watch. Those are all designed for that to say, we should have eyes that are looking, knowing that what can potentially happen. I want to close this morning with... Uh, the parable of the ten virgins. It's found in Matthew 25. And uh, Jesus gives this parable, interestingly enough, about the day of the Lord. 
Because they're asking him what the end times will look like. And Jesus says this, starting in verse 1 of Matthew 25. He says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And then it says this, And while they were going to buy, in other words, in the midst of the crisis, they were trying to get their act together and do what they should have done a long time ago. It's called procrastination. Anybody know that sin? And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, open the door to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. And then these are Jesus' words, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We're going to look at this in the Perusia in a couple weeks, but... I just want to say it's a great encouragement to be alert, to be watching. Are your eyes set on him? Or are on all the distractions of the culture and you can do all the sinning with impunity that we want to do simply because we don't think he's going to show up now? Scripture warns strongly against that. Our eyes should be focused on the ultimate day of the Lord, knowing that that will roll out things that we don't have time to get ready for if we don't prepare ahead of time. Let's pray. Father, as we walk through this, I want to pray uh, that you will uh, encourage us in your spirit that this is a great time in history to be alert. This is a great time to know your word. This is a great time to be watching. This is a great time, Lord, for husbands and wives to be praying together. This forces the issue a little bit. It, it helps give us a reason why we should be praying together. Lord, it's a great chance for the church to pray. Lord, why would we get up at 7 and pray? Because there's some important things going on and we need to know your mind and heart on it. So we seek you for that. We pray that it's encouragement. We pray this morning that uh, for those who are faint-hearted again, that you would strengthen them, those who need rebuke, that you'd rebuke them. Those who need to repent, that they would do so. Lord, those um, who are full of fear, that you would give them courage. We ask this morning that you would uh, sober us and help us look at you and depend on you with a full heart. We give this to you in your name. Amen.